0: Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: You can't understand it. That's what the devil will want you to say. And while there are challenging things in it, there's no doubt. There's pictures and imagery and symbolism. But often, the answer is right there in the text for us. And in fact, it's known that if you know the Old Testament, a lot of the things in the, New- in the book of Revelation will start to make sense. How can I keep the same?
0: Hi everyone, and welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio with Pastor Rob Kellogg. It's true that the signs used in Revelation have been a source of confusion or controversy for some readers. Yet the signs are necessary because John expresses things of heaven, which Paul said he heard with inexpressible words. John describes things he saw, so he could only use symbolic images to explain it. To us, the book is prophecy, but John simply recorded history unfolding before him as he saw it. John had visions from heaven, but he described them in his own language and manner. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. You
1: have to understand that the gate that's there is not the real eastern gate. The eastern gate that's that, that was there when Jesus' day... Is several feet below, and they found it by accident one year when a, a gentleman was walking by and he fell into this uh, this this tomb. Really, it was a it was an Islamic tomb, and bones were in there. And they went and they, they saw the top of the archway as they fell down into this hole. They saw the uh, the, t- the upper part of the arch of the original gate underneath, and that is the gate that is going to be referred to. But notice, he goes on and he says, Voltaire <laughs> he boasted that the Bible would be a dead book in a hundred years. But when the hundred years had passed, Voltaire was dead, and his house had become headquarters for the Geneva Bible Society. <laughs> and Ingersoll made a similar boast. He said that we would have the Bible in the morgue in 15 years, and it was he, not the Bible, who went to the morgue. The Bible outlives all of its critics, and you would think that men would wake up to the fact that the Bible is God's eternal word and that it will never pass away but then as jonathan swift said there's no nothing there's none so blind as they that won't see that won't see so the book of revelation is not a book that's supposed to be sealed it's supposed to be open and read by everyone in fact in the end at the very end of the book in chapter 22 verse 10 the angel speaking to john the apostle he said to him, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. The time is at hand. And it's interesting as we, as we embark on this book that the Lord has written concerning the gravity of the words and the prohibition of adding or subtracting anything from it. In Revelation 22, verse 19, it says this: And if anyone takes away the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. That's a pretty significant statement. So we should never take anything away from the word of God, nor should we add anything to it. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, In the first verse, it says this, He says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. And here it is, verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Later on in the same book, chapter 12, verse 32, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Even Solomon in his Proverbs, chapter 30, verse 5, he says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And one of the wonderful things about the book of Revelation is it's the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing to those who read it, to those who hear it and to those who keep it. The idea is to be obedient to it. And we see that in the very third verse of what we read this morning. You can read it, the third verse in chapter 1. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. At the very end of the book, it says this again, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. If I did nothing more than read the book of Revelation to you this morning, you would all be blessed as well as I would. If I just read it from cover to cover, we would all be blessed. (laughs) The scary thing is, any other word that I speak is really a liability. God anoints His word. God's word is blessed. We get blessed by hearing it. But I have a question for you this morning, and that is, if the Lord says it's a blessing... And it's a blessing for us to hear it and to, to keep it and to read it. Why do so many pastors and even Christians stay away from it? There are many churches in the area here that won't get into this book. And I have some possible reasons for that, some possible answers to the question, why don't pastors and teachers teach this book on wholesale? Why don't they teach it? Why don't they read it? And let me give you a couple possible answers. Number one is that the devil doesn't want you to know he wants you to believe that this is not a relevant book for you. And by the way, you really can't understand it. You can't understand it. That's what the devil will want you to say. And while there are challenging things in it, there's no doubt. There's pictures and imagery and symbolism. But often, the answer is right there in the text for us. And in fact, it's known that if you know the Old Testament, a lot of the things in the book of Revelation will start to make sense. And even within the book itself, it gives, it defines what some of these difficult things are. Let me just give you an example. Look at with me in verse 12 of the very first chapter. And this is just an example. He says, John speaking, he said, Then I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Underline that. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. And I love this description. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Notice verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars. Underline that. You know, most people, when they see, okay, seven golden lampstands, seven stars. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I've read this passage many times over my life, and, and sometimes things just pop out at you. Have you ever had that happen to you? Because you're already thinking in your mind, man, this is really heavy stuff. I can't understand it. And so you pass right by the definition of what these things are. Has it ever happened to you? Am I the only one? Maybe I am. But he says, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. It's another title of Jesus. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Another name of Jesus, the one who lives, who was dead, and behold, alive forevermore. Amen. And he says, I have the keys of Hades and of death write the things which you have seen and here's our outline which we'll look at later and the things which are and the things which will shortly take place after this but notice here it is he gives us the he defines what these lampstands and these stars are have you ever seen this or have you glossed by it like I have for a number of years and all of a sudden it just pops off the page? He says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my hand are the are, and the seven golden lampstands. He says, the seven stars are the angels or the pastors of these different churches, these messengers, these pastors. And the lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So it defines for us right here within the text. We don't have to go looking elsewhere it defines it for us. And it does that often. It'll define things. And some of the things that we don't quite understand we, we learn from the Old Testament. And some things, quite honestly, are things that John was having a hard time perhaps describing in his in the language that he had available to him. How do you describe these locusts in chapter 9 coming up out of the abuso, out of the out of hell, basically, and coming to roam the earth and sting men? And torment them for five months. How do you describe these demonic creatures? He does a pretty good job. And the the revelation is filled with imagery. And it uses a lot of similes. As. And and he looked as this. It was like this. It was as this. There's a lot of those kinds of things. Because to accurately describe them really defies language. Because no one's seen these kind of things. And the second thing... Is that perhaps you're all tired of the hyper interpretations and in the books that many have spent a great deal of time on speaking of conjecture and things that they really don't know, that we really don't know about. And there's been books written, things have been written, speaking tours have been lecture series have been done on conjecture rather than just what the Bible says. And for some reason, humankind, and I think this is true, I had to come to this understanding of my own old nature. For some reason, we're drawn to mystery, and we're drawn to darkness. We like to be thrilled, and we like to have knowledge of things that are unknown or taboo. This is why we like murder mysteries. This is why we like to hear juicy gossip about somebody else. It plays right into the hand of our lesser nature. So, the question is, why shouldn't we then be drawn to the book of Revelation? Because the devil does not want you to. What God says is a blessing, the devil says you can't understand it. In fact, you shouldn't even read it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can't understand. I mean, you've got to be like a, a, you know, a, a biblical scholar to understand this stuff. Don't even bother with it. See, the devil wants you to keep away. He wants to keep you away from the very blessing that God says he wants to give you. Does it not say, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy? And keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. It does say that, isn't it? Is is it in your version? It's in mine. God wants to bless you. And that's what this book is all about. It's not to be a, a hiding away of the truth, but rather just the opposite. An unveiling, an apocalypsis. Unveiling, taking the wraps off. So who wrote this book? I think you know by now that it's John. Revelation It came from God the Father, it was given, it was penned by the Apostle John, he was the last surviving Apostle. And even the early church fathers, for those of you who are interested in such things, men like Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and Clement of Alexandria and Tertullian, they all have come to the conclusion and knew without a doubt that this author of this book was none other than John the Apostle. He was the only one not to die a martyr's death. All the other Apostles died violent deaths, but not John. And the book of Revelation and the things that John witnessed may be a fulfillment of what was spoken in John chapter 21. You recall after uh, Jesus uh, restored Peter on the beach, remember when he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And then Peter was restored and it says in verse 20 of John 21, it says, Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is just John's way of, of talking of himself. In his gospel, he never said his name. But he always referred to himself as that disciple or the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved but peter turning around saw the disciple whom jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at supper and said lord who is the one who betrays you and peter seeing him said to jesus but lord um, but but peter seeing him said to jesus but lord what about this man and jesus said to him if i will that he remain until i come what is that to you you, you follow me, Peter. And then the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if he wills that he remain till he came, what is that to you? And I believe that the book of Revelation is really a, f- a fulfillment of that very thing because now John, in a vision, and some kind in of spirit, he's now able to see what was coming in the future. He saw the coming of Christ. As if it had already taken place. God gave him a sneak preview of all of these things that are coming in the future. And so in a sense, he did. He saw these things. And John never mentioned himself in the gospel or his three letters. But here in the book of Revelation, four times he mentions his own name. Certainly here in chapter 1, verse 1. And he sent and signified it by his servant or by his angel to his servant John. And then in the fourth verse of this very chapter, what does he say? John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. I think you get the point. It's John the Apostle. In verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion, in tribulation in the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ. And then finally, in the very last chapter, he says, Now I, John, I saw and I heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Of course, the angel didn't receive the worship. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. So after the writing of John's letters, 1 John, Second John, and 3rd John, John's reputation and him spreading the gospel got to the point back in the first century where He underwent a lot of persecution. In fact, uh, Domitian, who was the Roman emperor at that time, he ruled from 81 to 96 A.D., he ends up throwing, uh, tradition has it, uh, it's not in the Bible, but tradition has it that uh, uh, Domitian took John, threw him in a big vat of oil, boiling oil, to boil him to death. And for some reason, he didn't boil. They just couldn't kill this man. And so they decided, well, we're going to send him out to this penal colony, this Roman penal colony out in the Aegean Sea, about 24 miles off the coast of Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey to us, or Ephesus, about 24 miles off the shores, this island called Patmos. He sends him out there to mine and to die. That was Domitian's desire, and it was there on that island as an old man, a very aged man, now frail and being persecuted. I mean, you know, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing a really elderly person being put to hard labor or enduring hardship like this. You know, uh, an elderly person should be kicking back in their, in their, uh, in their uh, glider. You know, putting their feet up, having their sons and daughters bring them tea. But not so with John. Here he was as an old man. And Eusebius, the historian, said that it was Emperor Nerva who was the emperor uh, afterwards. It said that he was the one who released John. And John returned to Ephesus where ultimately he died there of natural causes. And also, remember when Jesus was on the cross and he, he gave his own mother Mary into the care of John the apostle? Jesus looked at John and he said, John, behold your mother And mother, behold your son. I want you to take care of her now, John. And as John returned to Ephesus, Mary was there. And we believe that Mary is buried somewhere there in Ephesus as well. And so this this book was written somewhere in 95, 96 A.D. And it was written initially to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicean, Laodicea. These were seven physical, real churches at the time of John's writing. And Jesus wrote letters to each of these churches. And these letters were written so that each one should be read by the others. So even though they were individual letters, you'll notice at the very end of every one of those letters to the churches, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Plural. So even after the letter to the Ephesians, or to the the, the Ephesus, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It was meant not only to be read to Ephesus, but also that letter could could be read by all the other churches. Because one of the things about these letters that Jesus spoke to these different churches is that every one of them kind of encompasses every church that ever has existed. Everything that would happen within a church, they all went through these things, and Jesus kind of sums them up and says, these are some things you're doing really well, but you got some things you got to look into. And they're all different. And they kind of, if you put them together, you can look at church history, and even in the churches in this country, and you'll see variants and flavors of this whole thing, of all these churches. Now, as we get into the book of Revelation, it's important to understand that there are different interpretations that can be taken. And there are four that are out there, and one is the preterist view. Preterist just means uh, something that is before uh, or or at the the time. The preterist approach interprets Revelation as a description of the things that happened at the time John was writing. And certainly, as we look at the, the book of Revelation, those things didn't occur. Most of the book has not occurred. From chapters Four onward to the end they 've not occurred, but the preterist view holds that everything happened within this time, and that 's not what we hold to and Another one is the historist view and this is a, uh, a uh, an approach that that views revelation as a panoramic view of the church history, which it's kind of interesting some of these different churches can mimic some of the church uh different times in church history they 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 do uh many of them match up quite eerily to church history, but that's not what we hold to either. We don't hold to the idealist view, which which believes that this is just something that happened, and then, you know, good and bad, these kind of events just happen time and time and time again. And so we can't hold to that either, but we do hold to the futurist view, and that is that everything from chapter 4 onward has not happened yet. Has not happened yet. In fact, when we get into... I want you to turn in, uh, to verse 19 of this first chapter, because before we really get into this, we need to look at the outline of this book. I want to encourage you in this too, because you know this is a, a 22 chapters, and you've already been told, perhaps, by some, that this is an unknowable book, or maybe that it's something that you really shouldn't pay much attention to. And again, the devil wants to keep you away from the blessing that is here, if we read it. But it's really not that difficult to understand. And certainly the outline of the book is fairly simple. Let's read verse 19. What does it say? It says, Write the things which you have seen, number one. Write the things which are, number two. And the things which shall take place after this. So, the things which you have seen, John has already described them to us it 's chapter one, in fact, specifically look i mean the, the whole the whole entire chapter, but notice what happens in verse nine of chapter one. It speaks of the the the, the, the uh, description of Jesus Christ. Write the things which you have seen. Well, what did you see, John? Well, verse twelve tells us, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned what I saw, so he sees. Jesus, standing among the seven golden lampstands, representing the seven churches. He sees him, and he describes him in his glorified state, hair like, you know, like um white as wool, his eyes like a flame of fire, and all these descriptions. So he defines for us what that is. So there is... The very first thing. Write the things which you have seen. We know that's chapter 1. And then he goes on and he says, And the things which are, these things which are, are the churches that he was going to be speaking to living at that specific time in history. Ephesus and Smyrna and Thyatira, Laodicea writing to those churches, and that is encompassed for us in chapters 2 and chapter 3. If you look at chapter 2 and chapter 3, these are the letters to the seven churches. They're all contained within there. But notice what happens, and these churches really represent us. In some way or way or form, they 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 represent the church of all ages. You can look at these and you can find a little bit of yourself. You can look at these letters and maybe find the temperature of the church back maybe when your grandparents were going to church. You can look at these letters and find something that will sting you one way or another because they're written for that purpose, because they do affect us. They do and they are written for us.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation.